The Balkans, a land full of rich history, as well as dominated by beautiful landscapes, is one of the lesser known parts of the modern world. It comes as a surprise that the history of this region is not very well known. As I've researched this region of the world and the many conflicts and political shifts of the area, I realize that not only is the history of this region incredibly complex and diverse, but is in fact integral to the way Europe looks today. It is because of its location and strategic value that empires and regimes have clashed over for centuries. From the Roman, Byzantine, and Ottoman empires, to Hitler's Third Reich, to the battling forces of communism and capitalism in the late 20th century, this area is one that has been embroiled in war since we can remember. Over the next few episodes, we will be diving into the background of the nations in this region, and will explore the cultural identities and geopolitics that led to the Bosnian War in the early 1990s. I'm Cleo Wright, and welcome back to Nomad's Vault. A little housekeeping before we get started today, I'd like to thank all of those who have listened so far. I had a surprising number of people listen to the first couple of episodes I released over the Rise of Octavian and the Vonzi Conference, and was pleased to see even people from other countries tune in, so thank you all so, so much. Your support is what is going to make all of this work, and I can't do it without you. That being said, please take a few minutes to rate and review on Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast app you use. If it has a rating system, go in there, leave five stars. It really is the only way for me to get the sponsors to help me keep the show going. You can also become a supporter on Patreon if you want to help out that way. Patreon.com slash Nomad's Vault. Patronage is greatly appreciated and it really does help make all this possible. You may notice today that I don't have a co-host... Uh, I've decided to continue this journey solo from here on out. I'm hoping that in the future I can find some people who are willing to do interviews on various topics, uh, but more of that as we go along. I do apologize for being away for so long following launch. I no longer had easy access to the equipment that I needed to continue recording, but now I've got equipment here in my own home so I can start putting out new episodes on a more regular basis. I ask for your patience during this process. I'm going to have to find that balance between family, my full-time job, and then research and recording slash editing on top of that. So there's going to be a learning curve. I'm going to do my best. I'm going to get there as fast as I can, but I greatly appreciate you continuing to listen, and let's get into it. In order to cover everything that we need to before we get to the Bosnian War, we need some basic understanding of the Balkans themselves and need a little more in-depth information about the people, culture, and history of three countries in particular, Serbia, Croatia, and Bosnia-Herzegovina. These three countries with their intermingled cultures and histories are the main players in the Bosnian War, so we will spend most of our time there. But before we dive into the individual histories, let's take a look at the Balkans as a whole. The Balkans are the landmass that lies with the Adriatic Sea on the west, the Mediterranean Sea, including the Ionian and Aegean Seas, in the south, and the Black Sea in the east. The Balkans are made up of ten nations, with two more nations having territory in the region. The states that are entirely in the Balkans are Albania, Bosnia and Herzegovina, that's the name of one single country, Bulgaria, Kosovo, which is recognized by the international community as an independent nation, 
but not yet recognized by Serbia as independent. Montenegro, North Macedonia, Croatia, Greece, Romania, Serbia, and Slovenia. Italy's port city of Trieste, along with a small strip of land between Slovenia and the Adriatic Sea, lies in the peninsula, and the European side of Turkey also lies within the peninsula. The entire peninsula, with the exception of small regions in the northeast portion, are dominated by rugged mountains and thick, dense forests. The Balkans, early on, were not very inhabited, mostly by Thracians, Dacians, Illyrians, and the post-Roman conquest remnants of some Germanic tribes. The areas north of what I will call the Macedonian line, the areas comprising North Macedonia, Greece, and European Turkey, were very much Latinized due to the heavy Roman presence in the area, and Latin would have been the primary language used by these people, especially those in the towns on the Adriatic Sea. Below that line, the culture and language would have been more reflective of the Greeks. After the fall of the Roman Empire, the newly arisen Byzantine Empire, or Eastern Roman Empire, took control of the entire region, helping spread Hellenism more inland and further north than it had previously been. Early on, the countryside was littered with sporadic farming settlements made up of the previously mentioned Illyrian, Dacian, and Thracian tribes, as well as retired Roman soldiers who were often given land in the Balkans as a reward for their faithful service to the empire. Due to the rugged mountain ranges, there were few major settlements and even those had no real clear lines in between them, making centralized power or government non-existent. These unclear boundaries probably contributed to these settlements intermingling at some point or another, creating a remarkably diverse, albeit small, population. During the time frame spanning from around 200 to 500 AD, the Balkans often fell victim to raids from the Germanic tribes in the northwest and the Hunnic tribes in the northeast. Due to the topography of the region, mounting an effective defense against these raids was difficult because it took so long to move through the mountains, and the Germanic and Hunnic raiders could easily come in and out with little or no difficulty. During the 6th century, the Slavs, from areas in Ukraine, Poland, Belarus, and Russia, migrated to the region in areas comprising the northernmost territories of the Byzantine Empire. And this migration would continue in small waves over the next century. The Byzantines didn't put up much of a fight to keep these settlers out, as they were not the regular raiding parties they were used to, and were instead groups of farmers and other settlers. Their territory wasn't really under threat. They allowed the Slavs to continue to migrate, and as a benefit, much of the countryside and towns that have previously been destroyed by the raiding parties, the Germanic and the Hunnic raiding parties, and abandoned by the original inhabitants, were being settled and rebuilt, revitalizing the area. The other major reason the Byzantines didn't bother stopping the Slavs was because at the time, Justinian, the Byzantine emperor, was embroiled in a campaign to retake Italy and other former Roman provinces. And even if he had troops to spare, the Slavic tribes were so disparate and so disconnected that defeating one group and creating some sort of a treaty with that group would not hold sway for other tribes migrating in and entering the area. The whole idea of quote-unquote stopping the Slavs was just not one to exhaust much effort in finding a solution for. In the early to middle 7th century, 
the area which by this point had been almost totally settled by the Slavs, saw a new arrival, one that would stay for the rest of known time, the Croats and the Serbs. These two Slavic groups, as you may remember, are two of the three key players in the Bosnian War. And, now that we have an understanding of the basics of the Balkans and Slavic migration, Serbia is our next stop. Serbia was dominated early on by the Thracian people, a group of people with ties to ancient Greece and antiquity. One of the oldest societies in the Balkan and Macedonian region, they were members of the Persian Empire at its greatest extent, and participated in the defense against Alexander the Great. They were eventually forced out of the regions that now comprise Montenegro, Albania, Bosnia and Herzegovina, and much of Croatia and Serbia, by the Illyrians who were another Indo-European tribe who also lived in a society dominated by warrior culture. The Illyrian success in the land was short-lived, however, as the entire region eventually became dominated by the Roman Empire around 167 BC. The city of Sirmium, in the land that became Serbia, was actually one of the largest and most advanced cities in the Roman Empire, and even served as the empire's capital for a period of time. Serbia was significant not only for its strategic value, being the only real and clear path through the mountainous region and onto what would eventually become Constantinople and later Istanbul, but as a symbol of the power of the empire to instill culture and pride in borders outside of the Italian peninsula. At least 16 of the emperors of Rome were actually born in this region of the Balkans. Around 6 AD, the first principality of Serbia sprang up. This principality would maintain much autonomy and independence for many centuries and give a place in the area for a new ethnic group, the Serbs. The Serbs, along with the Croats, as we stated before, were some of the later Slavic tribes to migrate and settle in the Balkans. The Croats tended to stay more north towards Slovenia and Italy, while the Serbs moved further inland and south towards Greece and further into the heart of the Byzantine Empire. The first Serb settlements occurred in areas around Thessaloniki, expanding to the surrounding river valleys of the Ibar, Drina, Tara, and Lim rivers. As the culture expanded and grew, the Illyrians and other South Slavic tribes, who had previously come to the area, intermingled with each other and adopted the moniker of Serb for themselves. The word Serb was now more than simply a tribe that migrated into the area. It was a word to describe almost a new ethnic group, comprising the people who lived in the areas, especially around the Drina River, and bordering the culture and ethnic groups of the Greeks and Macedonians. The fall of the Roman Empire created two especially important players in the war of culture and religion in the Balkans. The Western Roman Empire maintained much of their original Roman control in Western Europe, its greatest extent reaching into modern-day Croatia. The Eastern Roman Empire adopted the name the Byzantine Empire, which adopted Byzantium, or Constantinople, as its capital, and saw its control expand across the Balkans, North Africa, and Anatolia, the region now known as Turkey. The power and influence of the Western Empire declined, and eventually its emperor was deposed, and the imperial insignia was sent to the Eastern Empire. Christianity was brought to Serbia and the rest of the Balkans in 817 AD by Clement of Orid. Clement was ordained a priest in the Catholic Church in Rome. However, 
He was a Slav from the area comprising Bulgaria. This made him uniquely suited for the task of spreading the faith to the Balkans. Issues arose when, in 1054, the churches in the east, the Byzantine Empire particularly, broke with the Roman Catholic Church and established Eastern Orthodox Church in what is now known as the Great Schism. This will play a larger role when we begin to explore the causes of the Bosnian War, but for now it's sufficient to say that the region of Serbia fell within the Orthodox side of the schism. As Serbia fell within the sphere of influence of the Byzantine Empire, the population slowly began to convert to the Eastern Orthodox faith. Their previous pagan traditions were becoming increasingly difficult to observe due to pressure from the empire, and the consensus, spurred on by the Serbian leaders of the time, was that in order to maintain some form of autonomy and independence from total Byzantine control, they would need to abandon their pagan beliefs that were viewed with hostility by the Eastern Orthodox Byzantines and convert to their church. Eastern Orthodox is still the predominant religion in Serbia to this day, with approximately 84.6% of the population practicing that, 5% practicing Roman Catholicism, and 1% practicing some form of Protestantism. The overwhelming majority of Eastern Orthodox adherents will also play a major part in the War with Bosnia in the early 1990s. Byzantine control over the area was undisputed for many years, though at times Serbia was allowed to be autonomous, acting as a vassal state of the Byzantine Empire, allowed to maintain its own governance as long as token payments, taxes, and the laws of the Byzantines were observed in Serbia, in addition to vows of military support to the Byzantines. In 1204, however, that was quickly brought to an end as the empire was dismembered, partitioned, and essentially destroyed altogether following the sack of Constantinople by crusaders of the Fourth Crusade. After this happened, Stefan I, or Stefan Nemanjic, was crowned Grand Prince of Serbia, beginning what is known as the Nemanjic Dynasty, and Serbia became an independent kingdom. As time passed, the small kingdom gained territory in Bosnia-Herzegovina, Greece, and more throughout the peninsula, and under Stefan Dušan, one of Nemanjic's later successors, evolved into the Serbian Empire. Dušan was crowned King of Serbia on September 8, 1331, and he immediately set about conquering areas surrounding Serbia. In 1334, Dušan launched campaigns against the remnants of the Byzantine Empire, eventually gaining territory that expanded across almost the entire Balkan Peninsula, all the way to the Greek border, and close to Constantinople itself. Dushan became involved in two wars with the Hungarians, ultimately gaining the territory around Belgrade for Serbia, and enacted the first Serbian constitution and book of law. At this point, the kingdom of Serbia evolved when Dushan added of Romans and Greeks to his title in 1343, and then Tsar of Serbians and Greeks in 1345. The empire was short-lived, however, as Stefan's successor, Euros V, or Euros the Weak, lost much of the territory gained by Dushan, and ended what had been, by all rights, a prosperous dynasty. His death marked the end of the Serbian Empire, the end of the Nemanjic dynasty, and the birth of many independent states. The most notable state in our story about Serbia is that of Moravian Serbia.
the largest and most powerful principality to arise from the ruins of the empire. Through military might and political acrobatics, the first and last noteworthy ruler of Moravian Serbia, Lazar Rebeljanovic, the new Moravian Serbia became a powerful nation and one that was seen as a threat to a new power rising in the east. This new power was the Ottoman Empire. The Ottomans were expanding rapidly throughout the world and had their eyes set firmly on the Balkans. The empire quickly began pushing into the Balkans. As I said before, the area is tactically important for any conquest or expansion anywhere in the Balkans, so the Ottomans quickly set their crosshairs on Moravian Serbia. The most important battle in this campaign, and one with great historic significance to, for Serbians to this day, was the Battle of Kosovo Polje. The battle took place on June 15, 1389, and was a decisive Ottoman victory. The victory was not without a price, though, as the Ottomans suffered heavy casualties, and, when nine Serbian knights broke through the Ottoman lines, the Sultan of the Empire, Sultan Murad I, was killed. On the Serbian side, they lost most of their troops as well as Prince Lazar. With both leaders dead, the Ottomans were able to rally and finish the battle, while the Serbians crumbled and fell and were eventually routed. The battle was a death blow for Moravian Serbia, which lasted only until 1402, when it became the Serbian despotate, essentially a vassal state to the Ottoman Empire. The despotate attempted to maintain some semblance of independence from the Ottoman Empire, but eventually it was brought fully into Ottoman control in 1459. The Ottomans would rule Serbia from 1389 all the way into the 19th century, finally losing control in 1817. Life under the Ottomans seemed to be fairly good, all things considered. The Orthodox Christians and Jews were allowed to retain their faith and continue practicing. However, they were demoted to a second-class citizenry when they were made into serfs by the ruling Islamic class. Many citizens of the former Serbian Empire converted to Islam to retain their land ownership rights, most especially in the region of Bosnia and Herzegovina. This will also play a huge role in the politics and ultimately ethnic cleansing that will take place in the Bosnian War. Christians and Jews' rights to land ownership were completely stripped, and they were only allowed to live under what is now colloquially known as the Mila system. This system was, in fact, a social structure, where Christians, Jews, and Muslims were allowed to continue to exercise a sense of autonomy as long as taxes were being paid to the Ottomans, much heavier in the case of Christians and Jews, and they adhered ultimately to the Islamic Sharia, of the empire itself. They were allowed to create and enforce their own laws as long as those laws did not conflict with those of the Ottomans. This period was a fairly prosperous one, especially for those who had converted to Islam, but eventually it gave rise to uprisings. The Ottoman Empire used an, as an elite force in their armies a caste of warriors known as Janissaries. Janissaries were made up of Christian children taken from their families and enslaved at a young age. These children would be given salaries, unlike normal slaves, and even allowed some power and influence. This, along with being raised in the ranks of the Ottoman forces, garnered an almost fanatical loyalty to the Sultan and to the Empire. 
The Janissaries were utilized not only in wars abroad, but also as a method of quelling rebellion and enforcing Ottoman law across the empire. Janissaries were, however, notorious for rebelling against the Sultan if they felt like their class was being threatened. One major occurrence of this happened in 1804. When, following the end of one of, one of the many Austro-Turkish wars, Serbia was given a sense of autonomy once again, and one of the Sultan advisors was stationed in Belgrade, the Janissaries who had been sent to quell the rebellion by the Serbs were expelled from the city and ordered back to Istanbul. A group of these Janissaries, known as Daihis, who had been particularly vicious in their methods for crushing the Serb rebellion, saw this as a loss of power, defied the will of the Sultan, murdered the Sultan's government officials in Belgrade, and began to impose heavy taxes on the Serb population, as well as violent response for those who had been involved in the Austro-Turkish War. As a result, a group of Serbs, led by Karad George, began an uprising against these Janissaries. The Sultan did nothing to quell the Serb uprising, as the Janissaries had gone against his will in the first place. This would prove to be a grave mistake for the Sultan. In 1806, the Russo-Turkish War began, and the Serbians, who were allied to the Russians, and who had assurances from the Russians for support, decided to shift the focus of their uprising from ending the Janissaries' unjust and illegitimate rule to all-out rebellion against the Ottomans. This rebellion was incredibly successful, and they were able to take not only Belgrade, but huge territory in the surrounding areas. A wrench was thrown in the works when Napoleon Bonaparte annexed areas in the Balkans and began to push up to the Russian borders. When the invasion of Russia seemed inevitable, the Russians signed a treaty with the Ottomans to free up troops to address the French threat, and, as a result, all but abandoned the Serbs. This led to the Ottoman Empire once again annexing Serbia and bringing more violent reprisals for their rebelliousness. Kara George fled to Austria the following year. An excerpt from the book, The Balkans, Nationalism, War, and the Great Powers, an eyewitness account is recalled on what punishment looked like for those who stood up against the Ottomans and did not succeed. Quote, Men were roasted alive, hanged by their feet over smoking straw while they were asphyxiated, castrated, crushed with stones, and bastinadoed. Outside Stambul Gate in Belgrade, there were always on view the corpses of impaled Serbs being gnawed by packs of dogs, end quote. These brutal punishments for the rebellion only strengthened the resolve of the Serbs. This is where I'll leave off today. Next week, we'll finish the history of Serbia, explore Serbian involvement in World War I and II, and discuss Yugoslavia, the breakup of that nation, and the lead-up to the Bosnian War. Thank you so much for listening, and as, as always, stay curious and return next week once again to Open the Vault. Please follow on Facebook, find us at nomadsvault.transistor.fm, donate on Patreon if you're able, and rate and review the show. Please, please rate and review the show. Thank you all so much, and have a wonderful week, everyone.